Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. In this episode, we will be exploring complexity, the nature of complexity, and taking a look at more regenerative models. I am delighted to welcome Asha Singh, Executive Facilitator, Team Coach, and Consultant at Learning Through Doing. Asha, welcome to the show. Thanks, Susie. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Asha, the title of your business gives us a great lens, I think, into what you do, learning through doing. And I know that you're on a quest to bring more humanity and purpose to the complex world that we live in, which is a quest we share, but also to support and help leaders to do the same in their own lives and in their organizations. So how do we use what we know and how do we have an impact on the world that we live in, which is becoming increasingly complex, increasingly fragile, particularly post-pandemic, increasingly uncertain, but we're needing to navigate that uncertainty more and more. And this is a huge topic, so I'm going to put that out there as a caveat. But I would like to, you know, while busyness is still glorified and the world carries on burning energy on doing and hustle culture, whilst we all are still struggling to navigate this meta-crisis, can we start with that? What is the meta-crisis that we're currently experiencing collectively for you? So it's a pretty big question to start with. Yeah, I was going to say, a small question yeah. to start with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, so I mean, you know, I'm just going to give you my my sense-making, obviously, and you know, other people might describe it differently or whatever, and also focus on on different things. You know, everybody, what we see depends on where we, we look from. What can we see from where we are, how we make sense of the world, et cetera. So how do I see what is often described as the meta-crisis? To keep it relatively simple, in the sense that, you know, can we actually put things together Mm. and and make sense for ourselves? I think there are two areas of really big risk that are really entangled. Okay. So the first one is what is often referred to as exponential tech. Mm -hmm. So that is the kind of tech that can, we can develop very quickly that is more readily available to people through open source. It can be really dangerous I'm not so much talking about kind of nuclear weapons or anything like that, mm. but more about biotech, uh, obviously mm. artificial intelligence, you know, all the rest of it. So that's one area. And the other area, and, and you know, this is going to have to be contentious because there can be lots of different ways of thinking about it. So I'll just put it in these kind of words for now, is about our economy, mm. uh, the way that we think we need to organise and flourish together or not compete, et cetera, and the impact that it's having on our biosphere. Now, that's you know an area that can be manipulated, quite frankly, in lots of different ways. So I think it's important to just think about our own experience. Whatever we feel about the narratives around climate change, mm. we can all see that climate change is happening in different yeah. ways you know, in our own context. So let's just start with, you know, climate change is real. And then there's lots of, you know, research, talk, whatever, concern about the impact of our biosphere, so loss of species, you know, mm. uh, the loss of our ability to, pre- to produce food around the world, all sorts of stuff. No, mm. so those two big areas, which are obviously really entangled, you know, we we have had an industrial economy fueled by what we might call materials, natural resources, fossil fuels, etc. The viability of them is running out. Whether the actual source of them is running out is another matter. The impact that they have on the environment, etc., is also, you know. Depends how you look at it, what you see, what, mm. what you real or not, but it's definitely having an effect, and we can see the you know slowdown of economic growth or something. So whatever our own feelings about that, that's causing a lot of uncertainty and asking us to 
to operate quite differently, which is really difficult when we are organised, you know, particularly at scale, economically, etc. To still think that life is stable, which is not, as we've seen mm. in the last few years, it's really not. And then we try, you know, lots of organisations, for example, think as particularly as they get bigger, that they need to be robust. Whatever robust means. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever that means. But those are basically trying to bring, you know, conditions within an organisation around them back to some kind of stability mm. when in life is not like that. Mm. So the meta crisis for me, in short, is, you know, looking at how those risks are really entangled that we can't think about any of them singly. We can't think about climate change without thinking about the economy or social inequality or the fact that things are really contextual. You know, how you might respond to climate change, for example, because it's such an important mm. topic for so many people in New York. And how you do that in the middle of the Sahara yep. is totally different. Mm. I mean, that's a kind of obvious example, if you like, but I think that's really important. So, you know, dealing with the meta crisis is how do we stand in the middle of all those things? There are lots of, you know, really earnest and good things going on to try and combat climate change, but often a lot of them, going back to the first sort of group of risks I talked about, exponential mm. tech, are about bringing forth the technocracy that keeps us safe, secure, competitive. That's very much the European Union agenda today, particularly in certain countries. And, you know, what does that mean for the rest of life? Do we actually really want to, to be slightly contentious for a moment, but just to kind of explore that if we like, you know, do we want to sleepwalk our way into a version of Blade Runner? Mm. Do we want to become cyborgs? I don't personally, for example, no, but I'm concerned about climate change. So how do we get that right? And it's Mm. really been trying for several decades to sort out climate change you know globally look at the last cop Mm. right Mm. so we just get more and more entrenched because we have different views about what's important how we can do those things so i'm really curious about you and me yeah not working with you know governments or whoever it might be what can we do what can Mm. we do in organizations to think about that does that make sense it does make sense and i think it's the question of you know how can i bring my personal agency to this topic at my level, whatever that level is, wherever you work, whatever access you have to communities or teams or mm. organizational structures. But, you know, and there are lots of different theories, aren't there, about complexity. Mm. For me, complexity has become a little bit of a buzzword around, exactly. you know, a little bit like agile, if you know. We need to navigate complexity. Complexity is <laughs> yeah. this model, not that model. Yeah. What What are your thoughts? I know you're a big systems thinker, mm. and I think one has to be to understand the meta crisis, as you've just described it, and to actually make sense of where we need to connect what. But what is complexity for you? And is there just one model? No, absolutely not. So actually, this is probably you don't know this about me. So this is curious. So I'm, I'm more of a complex no, it's fine. I'm more of a complexity thinker, whatever that means, and I am a systems thinker. So okay. I think first of all, though they are areas of practice. They might be curious about similar things, but they're definitely two areas of practice. So systems thinking, which is, has become a bit of, of all the rage right now, mm. you know, and understanding that, okay, we need to look for patterns. We need to try and see what we can do different. We can't do that kind of linear, here's yeah. a goal, let's just go yeah. all out for that. So that, you know, it's great that that awareness is growing. But systems thinking is a way, a disciplined approach, if you like, to look at systems. So let's start with what is a system, you know, and how do we know that we're in a system or we're not just a group of people or whatever. So I guess there are some, you know, fundamental laws that that's, that hold true across different ways mm. to think about systems thinking. 
to do that practice. And that's like you're in a system. If you can see a connection or a collection of different parts, so it can be different people, different, you know, hard systems, IT systems, mm. processes, whatever they might be, whatever that might be. That's not necessarily in a hierarchical structure. So it could be a multi you know, function, mm. purpose, project mm. team, whatever. But those people are connected to do something in particular. They've got a particular purpose or a particular function. And together, they're, uh, you know, what they do together produces different effects to what any of those parts of that group mm. would do if they were on their, on their own yeah. and yes. over time. So mm. that's what we might call a system. So that could mm. be a team if they're working on similar things, whatever. It could be a group of people that come to Together to do something really quickly, mm-hmm. go off and do something else, right? It could be a family, it could be whatever. And systems thinking, you know, different approaches, different ways to look at essentially, you know, you start by looking at data and events and whatever. You then think about, you know, try to surface the patterns that mm-hmm. connect them. What are the patterns that connect? And then by looking at those in more depth, you can see some of the structures that say mm-hmm. that we just talked about before we came on about, you know, a writing structure, a yeah. way of, of telling a story that is so normal for all of us, we don't even know that we're doing mm-hmm. it. So we reveal the structures that often exist between people who come together to do th- things for a certain reason. Mm-hmm. And then we look at how we can leverage those structures. Where can we act on those structures to bring forth the results that we might want, right? So it's quite a, at the end of the day, still a goal-oriented kind of practice. Yeah. Right? And there are different ways to do that, different thinkers, different, you know, ways of of, of looking at those things. But I think it would be true to say that what I've just shared, it holds true for all of those different mm. approaches, right? Complexity thinking is slightly different in that it looks for a lot of those things, but it arose really I don't know. I mean, maybe in the 70s, but became a thing and a mm. field of independent inquiry and transdisciplinary scientific, mm. you know, mm. practice research, etc. I think if I'm not wrong, in the 1980s, probably in Stanford, maybe in mm. other places, but I certainly know about that one. Looking at, okay, so complex systems are systems that produce emergent behavior. In other words, they produce results, behaviors, unexpected things that cannot necessarily be predicted. So okay. it's not like one, two, three things interact mm. Mm. and they produce a result that's always going to be the same. They don't. They might produce something quite random. Mm. Right? That's what we might call complex, something that's emergent, not predictable, not controllable. We can't direct it where we mm. want to go. And we may or may not want it. Mm. Right? So that's emergent behavior, and that's part of what makes life so uncertain. Of course. Right? Yeah. So complexity science looks at what do complex systems, so systems that produce emergent behavior they also particularly complex adaptive systems are called CAS for short mm. so you and I are complex adaptive systems of course mm. like our brains our immune systems our families our communities any kind of social group also ant colonies or bee swarms or you know mm. lots of these things Natural examples systems. from there mm. you know yeah but also the stock market or really complex software or anything that can start to learn for itself and adapt so really at the heart of artificial generative. I was going to say generative uh, AI. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so at the heart of that, and that's just, you know, turning, simply put, put turning that into algorithms that it can do it by itself much more quickly, much more efficiently, whatever than we can, much more widely, et cetera. Complexity science looks at, at that learning process. So how do complex adaptive systems learn and adapt 
But the point is, we don't learn and adapt when everything is easy and stable mm. and comfortable. We learn, and it's a, you know, another kind of buzzword or phrase that's often used, but it's really true, at the edge of chaos. So we could, let's not go down the COVID route, but just use yeah. that as an example, mm. exactly. But just use that as an example that, you know, we can all experience. We went generally down one route of this is how we need to deal with something we don't know. Mm. We don't understand, we don't know, right? Whereas a lot of people might say, well, it, with hindsight, it's also easier. We could have learned to do that in lots of different places in different ways, but that was a real big risk for you know mm. many, many governments mm. and, and all the rest of it, and and you know individuals as well for sure. But that's the difference between do we try and and, and take one or you know a common route that brings us back to stability, something that we can manage, something we can direct in a particular way that we think is more useful, or do we learn to deal and live with at the edge of chaos? Mm. That's the difference for me between uh, systems thinking and complexity science, Mm. right? So complexity science has grown up, as I said, as a you know independent field of inquiry, transdisciplinary research, trying to look at how do these complex systems not just you and I, you know, not just mm. from a biological point of view, but also from an economic point of view, stock market, blah, blah, mm. blah. How do they learn and adapt when they're not stable? Because that's mm. when people make big money. That's when we have bubbles, yeah. crashes, all that mm. kind of stuff, right? Mm. So obviously there's, you know, a lot of interest in 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 economics. So how do we have a sustainable economic system that in the past, you know, we basically had wars. Mm to bring everything back to zero and let's start all over again. Put make that really simple. It's not that quite that black and white, but you get the point. We can't do that again, clearly. So how can we have an economic system that can sustain, is sustainable, that produces the amount of wealth that we want, that produces what we need, that distributes, is switch So there's a lot of interest, obviously, mm. in what you might call in a regenerative economy. And complexity science, unfortunately, is being used to all sorts of ends just part of why we see ourselves in the entangled things that we are in today. Mm. And what do you think about the economy is very interesting for me because new models, the one that comes to mind is Kate Raworth's donut model yeah, of sure. a different definition of wealth, a different mm. de- definition mm. which is more around humanity mm. and therefore a more regenerative mm. model in terms of distributing wealth mm. and well-being. What do you think of those type of models and do you think that that our <laughs> complex adaptive system will let us manage that. So, I mean, I think there are various models. Donut is the one that, you know, certainly in this part of the world is is gathering a lot of interest and, you know, all credit to them. I know them a little bit and, and you know, they've done some really, really good work. I think there are some really important things to think about, Susan. You know, like I said, you know, I'm not an economist, you know. No. Bringing a complexity science lens let's say to the economy looks a little bit different to the things that that are being tried out and played Mm. with you know experimented with today so let's start from kind of base of we've had a industrial linear economy as in Mm. we're going to always aim for you know constant growth in a you know world that's that running on on fossil fuels basically Mm. running on on natural materials and that is having an impact of some kind, whether it's in pollution, whether it's in, you know, disposing of waste, I suppose you could call that kind of pollution, whatever it might be, that's definitely having some sort of impact on our biosphere. I personally think a lot of climate change and, and biosphere degradation, whatever, is evolutionary. But, you know, I think there's also mm. a lot of evidence that demonstrates we are, we're not, the way we are trying to 
produce stuff or whatever on our planet is is not good for what we actually so you know we need something that doesn't have surplus mm. why are we producing surplus when 20 percent or whatever it is of the world still don't have enough to eat i mean it's mad what do we do with that surplus how do we get rid of it, Use it right? how do we try and get yeah it's mad how do we you know we we have interests coming out of nothing mm. Hmm. It's all a kind of complicated, you know, very complicated system of betting, and yes. it makes a few people really wealthy, and the rest of us increasingly less so. Hmm. I think that's just fact. You take the politics out of it, but that's just fact, right? Hmm. So that's where we are starting from, and trying to get to, you know, for those that think it's important, something that is allowing us to live at the edge of chaos, hmm. enabling us to live at the edge of chaos and flourish which means a complexity kind of lens of, you know, how do we produce and distribute what we need at a smaller scale, mm. so more locally, more regionally? Uh, how do we wealth produce the wealth from that? What do we do when we can't do those things in a particular context, like around the Sahara, mm. for example, right? So what's the alternative? What are alternatives to globalisation? What does that mean for how we finance it? So lots of different, you know, ideas mm. about alternative kinds of finances, for true. Whoever tries to do that first is going to be out-competed by other places that don't want mm. to do it. It's really, really challenging, right? So I think to go to that is a really big ask of the world where it is. Mm. Lots of people mm. are aspired to, and complexity economics for me at least really gives us ways to do that. But are we ready? Mm. And the simple answer is no, we're not. So coming back to your question about, you know, donut economics, there are also other things, something called egodics. I don't know if that's right. I think that's the right pronunciation. Uh, you know, circular economy, other mm. kinds of things that are being tried. They're like a, to use a bit of complexity language for a moment, we call it an adjacent possible. So I don't mm-hmm. want to use the word nudge because it's not. It's like, what is what is a step away from where you are now that's not complete chaos, but is mm. going to help you move into a good direction? I personally see things like donut economics like that. So mm. it's been tested to the best of my knowledge. And, you know, I could be wrong about this stuff for sure. But what I know or what I think I know is, you know, it's been tested at a city kind of regional, mm. what's the word, kind of interurban, or I don't know what that word is about, you know, the, the system that might exist around a city, urban maybe, mm. you know, uh, sort of Amsterdam. I think it's been yes, tried it's in Cambridge. Mm. And they're also taking that thinking to lots of different sectors to try and see what you know, that's already valid. Mm. And it's taken them a long time and, you know, absolutely hats off to to what they're able to do. Is it the final answer? No, probably not. But maybe that's a path that we have to explore in time anyway. Mm. Mm. It's not. So when you say, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. We have, you know, some brilliant minds that have thought about how we might do that and steps to get there, like mm. donor, whatever it might be. Kate might say something really different but that's just my view are we ready as a a population as a planet as a global society to do that no Mm. i don't think we are i think you know we are still very held to the the you know think about think about some of the organizations that we both you know are familiar with you know they have to report results in a very highly regulated very geopolitical environment Mm. or whatever how do they really step out of that they can't whatever individuals might want to do or, or whatever so we can't but you know i think we can certainly start experimenting which we're doing at smaller scales mm. there are lots of people that are just saying all right you know with after post pandemic i've i'm comfortable enough lucky enough in this part of the world to be in that situation 
I want to set up a, I don't know, equipment sharing community in my local area about, you know, gardening stuff or mm. whatever, whatever it might be. There might not be any money involved in that, or there might be just some simple kind of subscription to keeping mm. a mm. platform going that you can mm. do that, whatever. People are experimenting with all sorts of things, you know, and there are all sorts mm. of regenerative, amazing regenerative projects going on around the world and and whatever. How it's still a pretty new field. Mm. So it's pretty fragmented. And the people that are more visible and more well-known in that, whatever, are seen, I think, anyway, generally to be, have been testing their theories, you know, developing the practices, mm. making those accessible, trying them out, basically, mm. making them accessible yeah. to people, educating them about the principles yeah. and, you know, whatever practices they might. And then I know, I mean, I know I feel like this and I know, you know, quite a few other people that feel like that. Okay, so what do we do with it? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not working with the World Economic Forum or, no. or you know, my government or anything. And I don't want to. That's not, you know, where I want to put my energy. So so what do we do with that? So I think, you know, that's probably going to be the evolution, let's say, of, of what we might call regenerative economics mm. or whatever. Mm. It's like, OK, so how do we actually put that into practice at a, you know, scale that's doable for ordinary people? Actually? Yeah. How do we make that accessible mm. in that way? And I think it was, you know, one of my questions was, how do we make that accessible to organisations? So I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the funnel in a little bit. Sure. But like you say, what everybody has personal agency, businesses have a role to play in, in, in yeah. this. So how can we bring that to organisations who are still, I mean, we have to meet people and collectives where they're at. So they're still very much in the measuring everything, as you said, in, in quite a rigid fashion because they have to, but also because they want to have some control over their productivity, their competitive advantage and what they're producing and why. So, you know, it brings me to the notion of, you know, if I look at regenerative economics, it brings me to the notion of value. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's quite a lot of work going on as well in forums around what value means, how we measure it as a society, and also how organisations measure it with a view to people flourishing as opposed to just surviving. I know you work on this question with teams as well. What how do you see organizations navigating that landscape and putting in place intentionally practices that can help them shift the thinking in their organizations? So there are about 50,000 questions in that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's start with an entry point. All right. Okay. So what is what is value? Well, value, I think, is really contextual. So there's mm. the other thing about return on investment, whatever language we use around mm. that. And, you know, if you are producing money which what most business is set up for doing whatever they're doing is to you know produce money and profit for the people that have invested in it I don't Mm. think that's going to change overnight and quite frankly that exists in impact in the impact sector or wherever it might be right so while it's you know very noble and and worthy and whatever to talk about different kinds of capital I think we can't ignore the fact that financial capital is a you know really crucial part of whatever we do, particularly for business. So I don't think we need to step away from that. I'm going to kind of turn the question on its head, if you like, and say that, you know, what is what is value in one place or for one group of people, one team within an organisation is not necessary for the whole organisation, right? So maybe it's this question in the sense of going back to some really basic things. So if I'm part of a team that needs to deliver a particular part of a process or, you know, get a certain bit of a product made or, you know, wherever it is, then I need to produce 
uh, value for whoever the people I need to give that to. Mm. So it depends on what they need, right? That's the contextual bit. In terms of personal agency and, you know, linking that to the wider world, well, you know, purpose has obviously become a big thing in in organisations, not just an impact. I always have a question about, you know, whose purpose and how do you measure the purpose? Yeah, exactly. You know, how do you measure that this purpose is valid? So Mm. the measuring thing is really important. You know, we do a lot of quantitative measurement and and there's certain things that we need to, to, to quantify. But I wonder how we qualify value, right? So... You know, if we are, are, I mean, look at, you know, I'm going to actually nominate them because we know them well and all of so. So look at Airbus mm. as an organisation. Went through a really difficult time with COVID for all the things that we know about. And they now have arguably a really strong and clear regenerative purpose for whatever reasons, but they need to try to make aviation as sustainable as they can. Right. So they are renewing, let's say, you could say they're leading it or they're part of it, whatever. They're renewing the whole ecosystem around aviation to be able to do that. And it's certainly by no means an easy task. Mm. So I think that's an excellent example, whatever else we might say about (laughs) from the inside out, but jokes apart, you know, that's an excellent example of how an organization can, a massive organization, Mm. a, you know, until fairly recently, quite hierarchical, quite traditional, quite old school, yeah. whatever organization renewing itself with plenty of challenges and resistance and, you know, all the rest of it into something that is, is you know, able to deliver on that in the future. And, and mm. that's a journey that they're on and all the rest of it. So I think that's possible. So there is something about meaning. There is something about the constraints that we are what stops us just going off and doing whatever there is something about ROI and however that's measured and there's something then about the internal parts of an organization mm. so the culture mm. the way in which we lead that culture and then going down to a, another scale about our inner worlds where we find our agency mm. right so it's much more for me as I said going back to what I said about turning the question on its head or turning it the other way around if you like you know thinking about the inner work that we can do that's really valuable to find our agency to contribute to something that's more regenerative Mm. even when we're in a what might feel like completely the opposite environment and I think Mm. that's perfectly possible Mm. about the whole impact sector whatever we might say about it what not you know suddenly all these generally younger people who wanted to do something that they found you know to be meaningful and Mm. of value uh, have managed to create an entire sector that's worth billions Mm. Right. Mm. So I think those things are perfectly possible. Look at how we responded to COVID as a world, yep. doing things that we never thought we would ever do. And we did them willingly. Because we had to. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. So there, there is something about constraint. I'm not saying we should go to that. That's no. just to be clear. <laughs> but be clear about that. Absolutely. But no, there is something about, I mean, think about you mentioned about, you know, doing this or something. Think about flow, the flow of the river. Yeah. The river moves much faster when it's narrow. Mm-hmm. That's just basic fluid dynamics, right? Mm. So when we have some constraints, we can do things actually much more effectively. Mm. Because if I, I wanted to bring it down to the individual leader, and we can do things much more effectively, but if I would like to create a deliberately developmental practice out of leading in a different way to create, so leading from the inside out to create this flow, what do you think? leaders need to really hone in on today and focus on because we've talked a lot about the outer context you know the challenges and crisis and society and but the inner world as you said 
is so important and is all about deliberate, intentional practice. Mm. So what would your thoughts around that be for individual leaders who are listening to this thinking, oh, okay, so what does that mean for me? What do I do? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. how do I actually do it? So I think we need to get away from saying this is how you do it. Yeah. I think we can point towards these are useful things to consider Mm. and always bring it back to the point of what, what is helpful in your context, right? You know, I think there are some areas of practice that are really useful. One is clearly about sense making, which means that you need to really look at your values and beliefs. What holds you back? How do you show up in different things? And then how do you make sense of the world as a result? You can't do that alone. You need to do that with other people. So life is way too complex for you or me to go and say, oh, mm. it's this, this and this. this right? We need to do it together. Right? So, But there's an element first of what am I open to? accepting, exploring, what am I curious about, what do I believe is possible, all that kind mm. of stuff. You know? mm. So there is an element about reconnecting with what is most important to you, where you're open, where you're not, mm. where you might need to expand that possibility, and then taking that into collective sense-making. Right? I think there's another really important part about rediscovering, renewing, perhaps is better, your personal power. A lot of people... A lot of women, maybe it's just easier for sometimes for women to talk about that, at least among ourselves. But I'm sure, you know, if I think back to a lot of men that I've worked with over these years, they would probably say something similar, is to find your, renew your personal power. So find your authentic voice. When you're Mm. clear about who you really are, what's really fundamentally important to you, where you want to put your energy, Mm. you've done some good sense making with others. And you can say, all right, now we can go and explore this notion of value for example with this particular Mm. group of stakeholders or where it might be so you know are you able to speak with an authentic voice are you able to have that kind of impact can you tell the story in such a way that it lands and is heard and can be actioned by the people Mm. that you work with so you're improving your impact and then I guess the third part is more about that outer Mm. you know those outer elements of how are you going to do that together so how are you going to come together to action stuff that, that might be quite out there for, for the environments in which you work? In terms of intentionality, I think there's a lot of, of work available, a lot of practice available in the world mm. that might feel quite woo-woo for a lot of people that have never explored that kind of thing. You know, an ecology of practice, I don't know, it could be really simple things. Like I remember one, you know, well-known leader who we both know, but telling me years ago that the fact that she hikes in the mountains at really high altitude has really helped her to bring about some really difficult change because you just do it one step at a time Mm. and you're roped together and if one of you falls in you pull them out and you know all the rest of it it's really hard work physically emotionally energetically and it's the most amazing thing when you get to the top which I can Mm. really identify with if I do something similar Mm. so you know an ecology of practice of things that that help you to energize and link into other things so that's not woo-woo I mean for most people going for a walk in the mountains mm. is not woo-woo right? no but like you were you know, saying doing... you've been doing writing every single day yeah. Yeah. since the beginning of the year and that that deliberate practice is becoming developmental yeah absolutely you know so we can find those I don't want to use the word hooks so maybe doorways is a better mm. expression into something that helps us to make links between different things Mm. Anything around complexity, practice, theory or whatever is also really developmental because it's asking you to constantly learn and adapt. So if you like, that's a whole sort of area that 
can help people to be much more intentional, particularly together, because the way that they're looking at a situation and then they're building on experimenting, trying stuff out, adapting along the way. Mm. So that's a process which I've actually turned into a process like learning through doing mm. for teams to learn in that way. And it's the experiential part of that, though, isn't it, of understanding how, how it feels and what my exactly. reaction is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, how do I show up in that? Mm. Where do I need to expand first mm. for us to able to go into places that we would not have thought about before? Mm. Mm. And if you had one call to action to leave our listeners with as we close the podcast, what would it be? Because it's such a massive topic as we we put the caveat out there at the beginning of the podcast. We've been all over the place, for me, in a structured way, as we come in from the metacrisis, down channeling through society, business, teams, and down to individual leaders. What would your call to action be for people listening? So, I mean, really summarizing some of what you've just said, or we've just mm-hmm. said, in that, you know, as individual leaders, particularly if you feel you're at a point in life when you want to do something different, mm. or you want to be more regenerative and whatever that means for you, you know, explore that inner part of stuff. So, for example, we're doing a retreat for the first time in beautiful Broughton Sanctuary up in Yorkshire in the UK. This is actually for women leaders simply mm-hmm. because that was a group of people that came to us and said we'd love to do something. It's all about renewal. It's about those things that I just spoke to in, in you know, developing mm-hmm. yourself, developing your inner practice. So rediscovering your own, you know, what's really important for mm-hmm. you, reconnecting with that, renewing your own voice and your ability to speak to power and then recalibrating or, or re- refreshing, let's say, you know, your ability to do that with others. Essentially, you'll get to meet lots of different people in a really mm-hmm. amazing environment and it's completely experiential. Mm-hmm. And we will of course help people to then you know take that back into daily life that's one that would be for individuals I can also offer that on a kind of bespoke thing for organizations who might want to do it to for a leadership team or okay. or you know renew uh, reward talent or whatever it might mm. be and then for the collective I think you know if you can if an organization is prepared to consider de- you know developing teams so mm. investing also in collective development not individual that's really valid I have been doing that kind of work for a long time. I have a process, like I just mentioned, about learning through doing, which is really about doing complexity in practice Mm -hmm. collectively. And even more powerful if you've done some of your own work first, because I can't do that all together. That really works. That's what I would. So that individual part from the inside out and then that collective part, you know, having some time out, breathing space, chance to really connect with each other, particularly if you work remotely, et cetera. Look at your reality. Consider how you're actually contributing to that reality. So going a little bit deeper below the surface of stuff. Thinking about from your own inner work, what is it that we want to do differently? And we set intentions for that. And then how can we bring that into reality through the ways in which we interact and do stuff together? Okay, super. I'm going to leave our, our listeners with those calls to action of taking the time intentionally to go a little bit deeper and do and do the work I'm going to put it in inverted commas do the work both individually and collectively Asha thanks so much for coming and sharing your thoughts on complexity on economics on organizations and team dynamics where can people find out more about you and what you do and more about this retreat and what you offer to organizations great so the easiest thing to do is to go to my website learningthroughjane.com okay or you can find me on LinkedIn and I'd be very happy to have a chat Okay, excellent. And I'll put those links in the show notes so that listeners can find it easily. Excellent. Thank you for a great conversation. Thanks, you.